Good morning, church. Special shout out to Isaiah and Josie uh, for the assist on my sermon this morning. I forgot to download it to my iPad, and so as we were leaving the neighborhood, I was standing on your porch like a crazy person holding the iPad like up against the wall of your house to get the Wi-Fi. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. It, it worked. Uh, I'm Father Spencer. I'm one of the co-rectors here at the table along with Father Ben and Father Matt. And uh, it's my, my honor to proclaim good news to you guys today. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Our gospel passage that we just heard read in our midst is Mark 9, and Jesus is talking. I'm going to pick it up and just read it back to us here, starting with verse 42. Jesus says, For whoever causes these little ones who believe in me to trip and to fall into sin, it would be better for them to have a huge stone hung around their neck and to be thrown into the lake. If your hand causes you to fall into sin, chop it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to go away with two hands into the fire of hell, which can't be put out. If your foot causes you to fall into sin, chop it off because it's better for you to enter life lame than to be thrown into hell with two feet. If your eye causes you to fall into sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter God's kingdom with one eye than to be thrown into hell with two. That's a place where worms don't die and fire never goes out. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if salt loses its saltiness, how will it become salty again? Maintain salt among yourselves and keep peace with each other. Friends, today we proclaim the good news that Jesus is saving us, not by cutting us off from our bodies or having us cut, cut parts of our bodies off, but by redeeming our bodies and showing us how to use them. He's calling us out of hell today, this morning, out of an existence that's defined by violence and broken relationships and individualism, and into a way of life that's defined by love, that's defined by mutuality, reconciliation, and peacemaking. This week, I was having lunch with a friend uh, that's a colleague of mine, and we were catching up, really, just to talk about some transitions going on in the workplace, but very quickly, we got into just chatting about how we are each doing, especially as we just continue to navigate life amidst the pandemic. And uh, so as these conversations tend to go, you know, about halfway into the lunch, we just started talking about the relational toll that it's taking, how we're having difficulties in relationships that we had no problems with before. It was much easier to keep certain things private, potentially, or step back when you needed some space. But now it just feels like I'm confronted every day, face to face, with relationships within my family, my neighborhood, my friends, how to talk to them about these areas of difference where we disagree. And it's not just about trivial things like our favorite color or our favorite sports team, but things that we believe to be moral issues. And so as we got into it, my friend mentioned to me that she has this neighbor right beside her house, a direct neighbor that every time she takes a, her dog for a walk, this neighbor will stop her. They've lived together, they've lived next to each other for four or five years now, and every time she's taken her dog on a walk, they stop and they chat for like 20 or 25 minutes. They're both pretty chatty people, according to her. Um, but lately, her neighbor just cannot have this conversation with her, this friendly, neighborly conversation, without just like going off and ranting against vaccinations. And so my friend is feeling exhausted by this, as you guys can probably imagine, and maybe you've experienced some of this in your own life, whether on social media or talking to parents or relatives that you're thinking about spending Thanksgiving with. Um, 
So her strategy thus far has been to try to avoid this neighbor. So she still has to take her dog for a walk at least once or twice a day, uh, but she started to peer out through her blinds to see if her neighbor's out, to see if now is an opportune time to slip away undetected, maybe to take a different route home, see if you can enter through the backyard. And uh, I can relate to this. You, you kind of have to strategize. Like maybe some days you just don't have the juice. But something that she said at the end of our conversation really struck me. The conclusion that she reached was, I've always believed that people's religion and their politics are their own personal decisions and they should remain private. Have you guys heard a version of this? Yeah? I feel like, especially in this cultural moment that we're in, we have started to see how prevalent this way of thinking is and also how inadequate it is for navigating life. It's almost as if we believe when there's a disagreement that causes discomfort or maybe would lead to an argument, people get quicker, they're quicker to blame a failure to keep our thoughts private than to blame the way that we treat one another when we disagree. Seen this way, it's the sharing of our thoughts and beliefs that become the problem, not the morality of how we engage or the posture that we take when we relate to one another. The narrative here, I believe, is that for our bodies to be together, we have to keep our minds private. On social media, I find this to be like an interesting, uh, it's like it zooms in on it, but it's also like the flip side of this coin, because our bodies aren't really together, but we kind of believe that we are, like it's a social space. We're physically not together though, and so people are much less reticent, as most of you probably know, to share their disagreements and their views. But I think each of these scenarios, in person with our neighbors or our relatives, and online with, in social media, points to some sort of disembodied existence, this belief that our brains and our hearts can be separated out from our physical bodies. What I believe and what I think is right doesn't need to get in the way of what we're doing here, especially if it's going to make one of us uncomfortable. Why would that need to be a part of this conversation today, unless I'm just being super rude? Ironically, our bodies are the most concrete expression of who we are as people. And yet, we often struggle with how to sync them up with the other parts of our existence, our mind and our soul. We don't know what to do with our bodies, friends. And many of us have inherited a disembodied Christianity, one that is concerned with saving our soul through our minds. If we can believe the right things and think the right thoughts, then our eternal soul will go to the right place. But this faith has little or nothing to do with our bodies. In fact, at sometimes this faith may see our bodies as an active obstacle to our salvation. It's getting in the way. So we believe if we, believe, we, if we accept that, then we believe that all we have to do is believe rightly. And then when we die, our eternal soul's resting place will be in heaven instead of hell. Dallas Willard spoke about it this way. He said, it's good to know that all will be well when I die. But is there any good news for this life? If I had to choose, I'd rather have a car that runs than good insurance on one that doesn't. Can't I have both? <laughs> Friends, Jesus is saving us today, not by cutting us off from our bodies or our desires or having us cut parts of our bodies off, but by redeeming our bodies and teaching us how to use them. He's calling us out of a hellish existence that's defined by violence and broken relationships and individualism and into the way of love defined by mutuality, reconciliation, and peacemaking. 
Our passage in Mark starts out with Jesus telling the disciples to stop, tell, stop policing the boundaries of who's, who's able to do good works in his name. Not to worry about that. And then he quickly transitions over into saying, if you cause a child who believes in him to stumble, it's better for you to be thrown into the sea. And then he gets into the real meat of today's passage, which is saying, it's better to cut off your hands and your feet and to gouge out your eyes than to end up in hell with both hands, both legs, and both eyes. And at first, depending on how we've been trained to read Scripture, this can seem pretty straightforward. I heard the word hell in there, and I definitely know what that means. Uh, and Jesus is clearly saying, like, hey, if your body's the problem, like, mutilate it until it's not the problem anymore. Because what really matters is that you don't go to a place of eternal conscious torment, that you don't go to hell. I used to read this into that disembodied Christianity that I received growing up. But read that way, it's really fragmented from everything else that Jesus is doing here. Uh, it's abstracted, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, especially when you get to the end of the passage when he says, everyone will be salted by fire. And that salt's good. It's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> so we have to stop there for this Sunday, as long as I can tell you guys, you know, just mutilate your bodies and avoid hell at all costs. <laughs> we'll handle the salted with fire thing down the road a little bit. So what is Jesus saying here? The interpretation is actually closer to when he's talking about our hands. It's better to go through life maimed than having two hands to go away into the veil of Hinnom, into the inextinguishable fire. Or when he's talking about our feet, it's better to go through life limping rather than having both feet and being cast into the veil of Hinnom. Or having both eyes. It's good for you to enter one-eyed into the kingdom of God rather than having two eyes to be cast into the veil of Hinnom. This kind of reminds me of what's going on. Like, I feel that there's a, a direct parallel to what's going on in Numbers, the passage that we heard this morning. It's a very long passage, as we talked about, Nancy. Uh, thank you for reading that, Rockies. You guys nailed it. Um, the Israelites are going through the wilderness, and they are actively thinking, man, wasn't it great when we were slaves? We got all that free food. Like, now all we get is, like, bread from heaven. <laughs> They're asking, who will give us meat? Remember the good old days when we were slaves in Egypt. And then God says, which we didn't read today, because it's not included, but I really wanted us to read it because it made me laugh every time I read it this week. God says, oh, you want meat? I'll give you so much meat that it'll be coming out of your noses. <laughs> like even the thought of meat is going to make you feel sick. And I, I see that there's a parallel here between this, like this longing for meat that the Israelites were feeling as they're, they're having heaven rain bread upon them and they're, they're desperate to be slaves again. And I think that this parallels to our, the way that we treat our bodies, why Jesus is, is juxtaposing them and saying, hey, it's like if you do what you want with your body, it's better that you cut off your arm. He's not actually advocating that you do that, but it's showing that our wants, our desires, what we think to do with our bodies doesn't adhere, doesn't align with what he wants us to do with our bodies or what our bodies are for. A couple of notes. We don't have time to unpack all of this today, but hell is the veil of Hinnom here in this passage, or Gehenna. So it's often interpreted as hell, and we often, most of us, have been raised thinking about that as eternal conscious torment. You're alive forever, being tortured, there's fire, maybe pitchforks, things like that. But there's a lot of distance between what the text actually says and what we may think that we know it's saying, and it's just important for us to note that. We can't do all of the exposition, but this is actually a physical place on the outskirts of Jerusalem. It's a place where there had been human sacrifices. Now, again, 
There's more to talk about here in regards to what hell is and what Jesus is saying. But I think it's important for this discussion to know that he's talking about a concrete, physical place. He's not talking about just your spirit. Hey, mutilate your body so that your spirit can be saved. No, he's talking about a place that the people listening to him would know about. Theoretically, another thought about this is that theoretically, you could dismember your body. You could mutilate your body to the point that you're actually physically incapable of doing anything wrong, right? Any sin that you can think of. You could cut out your eyes. You wouldn't struggle with lust, maybe envy because you don't know how nice your neighbor's car is. You wouldn't be able to steal because you don't have any hands and so on and so forth. But is that good news? Is that the good news that Jesus is proclaiming to us today? And even if that was the case, I think we all know that you could be armless, you could be limbless and eyeless and still capable of having a completely wicked heart. Friends, God's will for you includes your body. Your body is not at odds with his will for your life. Jesus is saving us today not by cutting us off from our bodies or having us cut our bodies, but by making us safe in our bodies. He's calling us out of hell, an existence defined by violence and broken relationships and individualism, and into the way of love that's defined by mutuality and reconciliation and peacemaking. Our passage in James, as James always is, is super practical. In fact, throughout Christian history, many people have dismissed the book of James as being almost sub-Christian because it's not spiritual or theological enough. It's too practical. N.T. Wright says that if James is an epistle of straw, which is what Martin Luther called it, then so is the Sermon on the Mount, because James is actually echoing back to so much of what Jesus taught there. In our Sermon on the Mount series, we talked about how Jesus wasn't just giving us nice thoughts or beliefs that we can tuck away in our hearts and our minds, that he's actually teaching us what to do with our bodies, how to live, how to be neighbors, how to vote, what to protest, how to agitate for change how to love, how to be present. He's teaching us in the Sermon on the Mount how to live as God intended, as a part of his material creation. And James is also telling us what to do with our bodies. He says, when you're suffering, pray. When happy, sing. When you're sick, invite the elders from the church to come and to lay hands on you and pray for your body. James is the only epistle that doesn't express hope that the readers or the audience will have like a healthy life. I think it's implied, but it's not made explicit in the text. Instead, he includes instructions on what to do when somebody is ill. Seen this way, James is teaching us how to stand with one foot in the place of trouble and sickness and sin, and with the other in a place of healing and forgiveness and hope. He's teaching us to be present in this reality, present to our bodies present to our emotions, present to each other, to the world around us. And he's teaching us to be present to God's already but not yet kingdom. The psalm passage for this week, which Joel beautifully sang, says, the Lord's instruction is perfect and it revives one's very being. That his instruction is faithful, making naive people wise. That it's right, which gladdens the heart. And it's pure, giving light to the eyes. It's not just nice thoughts. This is not just a poem that's in the abstract and not rooted in reality. It's also not meant as something that we can apply in a way of trying to shame ourselves into reading more scripture 
or gaslighting ourselves into seeing a diff reality different than it is, right? There's a way of reading this that can just make you feel bad about like, well, when I read God's word, I don't feel that it's as sweet as honey, so there must be something wrong with me. But in reality, the way that we see things is not yet fully aligned with the way that God created the world to be. But we are invited into this, to meditate on this, to grow into it, to proclaim good news to one another. The instruction and the judgments that are spoken of here in the psalm have concrete consequences in our lives. In Jesus, we see, we see God wrapped in the flesh, and in Jesus, we see God teaching us how to really live. At the end of the Mark passage, it says, everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if salt loses its saltiness, how will it become salty again? Maintain salt among yourselves and keep peace with each other. The way that I'm reading this today is that we, like the Israelites, know what it is like to live as slaves to something else other than God. We know what it's like to be at odds with our bodies, to have received and believed a disembodied faith. We know what, what work it does to threaten our bodies to be beaten into submission or to threaten our bodies with eternal torment in hell. And because we know what that's like, how much, how much more ready are we now, salted by fire, to receive the good news today that our bodies aren't in the way of our salvation, that our bodies aren't ancillary. Church, you are safe in your body. God's will for your life has to do with your body. It involves what we do with our bodies. I want to invite you to reflect on this good news with me if you are comfortable closing your eyes here. Where do you need to hear this good news today? Do you feel like your fatigue, your anxiety, your anger, your impatience are in the way of your salvation? Jesus isn't just teaching us how to get to heaven. He's teaching us how to really live here and now. He's meeting us in the midst of that fatigue, that anxiety, that anger, that impatience. He's teaching us how to use our bodies and how to be at home in our bodies. Pay attention to your body. What do you notice? their pain, tightness? What weight are you carrying today and where do you feel it? Just hold that before the Lord. Just notice it. Hold it before him. Invite him into it. That's all. All right, let's open our eyes together. Let's continue to respond as we move towards the table of our Lord, as we bring our bodies and kneel around this table and eat together. Jesus is saving us today. He's making us at home in our bodies. He's letting us know it's safe to be in our bodies. He's meeting us in that anxiety, in that impatience, in the things that we don't understand about our bodies. He's meeting us right there, physically in our bodies. He's saving us from hell today. He's calling us out of a hellish existence that's defined by violence, hurry, broken relationships, and into the way of love. Friends, being salted now by fire, you're able to go and bring saltiness to the world.
that salty, good life, that kingdom life, you can take it with you as you leave from here today after we come and eat together. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.